Good morning. Welcome to worship on this beautiful day. For those of you who have not met me before, my name's Rain Utley, and um, for the next couple of weeks, I'm filling in for Stuart as Stuart and Debbie and family head off to Longreach and Witten, and it's great to hear that uh, they're expecting lots of rain out there. They might be flooded out there for all we know eventually, but no, it's not that much rain, but uh, they are getting rain out there, so it will be nice and green by the time they arrive out there. So welcome to worship today as we gather as God's people to hear God's word. The psalmist writes, I was pleased when they said, let us go up to the house of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity of being able to come and gather in worship, scattered as we are throughout this world of ours. We pray that as we gather together, that your Holy Spirit will be with us, that your word will speak to us and encourage us in our faith, our witness and service. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you. And also with you. Thank you. So we gather together today. The theme of the service this morning is about grace, the scandal of grace. And so as we come and we continue to give thanks to God, let us bow in prayer, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are our God, a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of understanding, a God of grace, a God who's always there with us and knows our innermost thoughts and thinking and loves us and calls us to be his own. We come to worship, to give to you the glory and honour which is yours and yours alone. And as we come and think of your majesty, we realise how far we have fallen from your glory. We've not always loved you or our neighbour or ourselves as we are called to love. There have been times when we've been upset because you haven't acted the way we thought you should and when you should have. We've tried to mould and make and shape people into our thinking and into our understanding rather than giving thanks that we're all different. And for those times when we have thought that we are not worthy of your love. And so we come acknowledging our sin, acknowledging that we have not always been your people as we're called to be. But even as we acknowledge our failings, we are assured of your promise that as we confess, you forgive us, you cleanse us, and you renew us. And so as your freed and forgiven people, we say thank you, O God. Thank you that in Jesus Christ our sins are forgiven. Thank you that through Christ the old has passed all things anew. And so may we continue to worship, to praise and give thanks for all that you have done for us and for all that you are to us. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. As I mentioned, our theme this morning is about grace. In fact, it's called the scandal of grace. And for our Bible reading, I want to read from the Gospel according to Matthew, Matthew chapter 20, reading from verse 1 to verse 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner 
who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will give you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when there came those who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As I mentioned, Stuart and um, Debbie are on holidays and heading out to uh, Longreach and Winton, and so they're away for the next uh, two weeks. So if people have any pastoral needs, you can contact uh, me through the office, or most of you will still have my phone number from before anyway, so, so that's fine. Uh, the other notices are on the notice sheets that have been um, sent out. I don't think there's anything in particular happening over the next um, couple of weeks, but uh, take note of those and give them your prayer and your support. One of the things each Sunday as we gather and we give thanks to God for his goodness and graciousness to all of us is, and one of the ways we show that is through our offering. And so we give thanks for those who do their offering, through their banking through the internet, through direct debiting, and um, those details are on our website, and we thank you very much for that. And for those who drop it into the office uh, during the week, uh, the office hours are 9 to 1, Monday to Friday. For those of you who drop it in there, we say thank you very much. For those of you who do the internet banking, if in the details you just mark where it says Offering City, you don't have to put your name anywhere there, just write City Offering in all the places, and it will come through um, anonymous and come to, come to the city. So let us give thanks to God for his graciousness to each one of us and as we think of the needs of others. Let us pray. Almighty God, we gather this morning giving thanks to you. We thank you for the way in which you have always been there with us, guiding and understanding and leading. We thank you for 
the gifts of money that have been given, will be given uh, through the internet direct debiting, internet banking, and for those who drop it into the office and another means of bringing their offering to you. We thank you for that and we would pray for your blessing upon all those who give and for the gifts that they give, that they might be used to further your kingdom here on earth and they might become a blessing to other people. We pray for the world that we live in, a world that in so many ways is suffering at the moment, so many ways is hurting. Lots of confusion and hurt. And we would pray for your peace, for your calmness. For all those involved in medical research as they look for a vaccine for the coronavirus. For those who look for vaccines and medication for other diseases as well, for all those involved in medical research, we would pray for your blessing to be upon them. Give to them the wisdom and discernment that they need as they carry out their tasks. We pray for all of our emergency service workers. Watch over and protect and guide them as they continue to carry out their duties. We pray especially at this time for those people who are travelling on our roads over these school holidays. May they travel safely. Keep them alert. That they might arrive at their destination safely and have a good holiday and return home. We pray for Stuart and Debbie and their family as, as they travel, as they explore a little more of our country. Watch over and protect, guide and strengthen them. And so, Lord, we would pray too for those who we know are not well, those who are sick, those facing operations, those recovering from operations. We pray for those too, Lord, who at this moment are close to entering into eternal life. We pray that you'll be with them and their families, surround them with your love and with your care. And so, Lord, as we come, we continue to give thanks and praise to you, thanking you that you are our God and we are your people. May we continue to share your love and good news with all. For we ask these things in and through the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, who taught us when we pray to say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. There once was a mechanic who owned a dog named Mace. Mace loved to eat grass, so the, me the mechanic kept him inside so he wouldn't ruin the lawn. 
One day, the mechanic decided to finish his work at home, so he took some tools home with him. But when he got home, he realised that he had dropped his favourite wrench out in the yard and was so upset that he forgot to close the door so Mace couldn't get out. Well, the mechanic searched for that wrench but couldn't find it because the grass was so tall. Next morning, he found his wrench in the yard because his dog had eaten the grass near it. The mechanic was so happy that he began to sing a grazing mace. How sweet the hound that saved a wrench for me. It once was lost, but now is found, and I was so pleased to see. Yeah, you want Stuart to come back and tell his jokes now. It's been said that Christianity is a supremely, is a religion of grace, and that is certainly true. But even so, grace is not well understood and often not really believed. We use the word a great deal, but we rarely think about what it means. In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey points out that part of our problem is the nature of grace itself. Grace is scandalous. It's hard to accept, hard to believe, hard to receive. Grace shocks us in what it offers. It is truly not of this world. It frightens us with what it does for sinners. Grace teaches us that God does for others what we would never do for them. Oh, we would save the not so bad. But God starts with the prostitutes and then works downward from there. Grace is a gift that costs everything to the giver and nothing to the receiver. It is given to those who don't deserve it, to those who barely recognise it and hardly appreciate it. That's why God alone gets the glory for our salvation. Jesus did all the work when he died on the cross. In the end, grace means that no one is too bad to be saved. In fact, God specialises in saving really bad people. I wonder if you have some things in your past, in your background, that you would be ashamed to talk about in public. Fear not. God knows about it, and His grace is greater than your fear or the deeds of the past. But grace also means that some people may be too good to be saved. That is, they have such a high opinion of themselves that they think that they don't need God's grace. God's grace cannot help you until you are desperate enough to receive it. So what does all this mean? What does this mean for me, for you? Well, let's begin by looking at the parable in Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Now, this would have been a typical um, scene in the days of Jesus. Just as we have unemployment agencies today, in the first century, there were places where day labourers gathered to seek work. These workers were unskilled at a trade and were near the bottom of the social economic scale. In fact, they lived at a level not far above beggars. 
They worked from job to job, and many of those lasted no more than a day. Because they had no guarantee of work beyond what they might be doing at the time, they would gather in the marketplace before dawn to be available for hiring. Now, working in the vineyard was not easy. At harvest times, the grapes had to be picked, often in temperatures over 40 degrees. Regardless of that, the grapes had to be picked quickly before the bad weather set in. If for some reason the grapes were slow in ripening, the time for harvesting could be significantly shortened. Consequently, the grape harvest was a hectic and demanding time. Now, the workers were promised a pay of a denarius. Now, this was the pay of a Roman soldier. Well, this might not mean much to us. It meant a great deal to those listening. Being a Roman soldier was not the most glorious or prestigious job, but it was higher up the social ladder than the common labourer. And as such, the promise of a denarius to these workers would have been quite generous. They were getting paid above, if you like, the, the award rate. And so they agreed with the rate with great eagerness. And the equivalent would be somewhere over $100 today. Now, this particular landowner, obviously his property was very large. And so he needed more labourers to get the job done. And so he says about the third hour, nine, nine o'clock, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again at midday and at 3 p.m. in the afternoon and did the same thing. But the 11th hour or at 5 p.m. he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one's hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. The phrase, I will pay you whatever is right, in verse 5, shows that these workers no doubt trusted the owner as a man of his word. While the owner does not promise a particular wage, these workers knew that it would be fair. The phrase in verse 6, found still others standing around does not denote laziness, but rather unemployment. And that's what they did until someone came to hire them. And this pattern continued for the hiring at 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 3 p.m., 5 p.m. And at this point, the parable takes a dramatic turn. By 5 p.m., the work on most plantations, because their work day was from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., the work on most plantations would have been winding down. The labourers waiting for work at this time would have lost hope, yet on this particular day, it was different. Because of the generosity of the landowner, it is clear that he is interested not only in his vineyard, but also in the unemployed. And so we see there's two groups of workers. Those hired early who went to work after negotiating a wage and those hired later who went to work without a contract choosing to trust the goodness of the master. In verse 8, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. The typical payment back then was a first come, first served. 
But not surprisingly, like everything else, Jesus turns it all upside down. He turns it around. The last come first served. I'm sure those who worked all day were beginning to get a bit confused at this point. And so the workers who were hired about 5 p.m. came and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each of them received a denarius. Though Jesus does not say it, the implication is clear. All the workers up to those hired first were paid a denarius. Because of human nature, we can imagine how the labourers who worked all day felt as all the workers got paid one denarius. They naturally would have thought, you know, the owner gave them $100 or so for working one hour. Those of us who have worked for 12 hours, boy, are we in for a great payday. However, their hopes were dashed. They received the same pay. In verses 11 and 12, we see the attitude of the workers as they start to complain. We read, when they received it, they began to grumble against the owner. These men who are hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have been borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. As I said, working in a vineyard was hard work. It involved labouring on a hillside in the heat of the day with few breaks. And so we can sympathise with these workers. We can understand their complaint. Their joy turned to anger as they realised that they had received the same pay as those who'd only worked for one hour. As such, they were determined not to leave until they received satisfaction from the landowner. However, we find that this is only a symptom of the real problem, which was they were upset that the landowner had made others, the other workers, equal to them. In verses 13 to 15, the owner gives this response. He answered them, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for Denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who has hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Here the owner completely refutes the worker's argument with a crushing blow. The word used as friend is not the ter term for a close friend, but rather a casual companion. And since the landowner land only addresses one person, the implication that this friend probably was the spokesperson of the group. And the owner then clearly states, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree to work for Denarius? You know, when you think about it, before six o'clock in the morning, they agreed with the owner on a price for their labour. And at that time, the denarius, or $100 or so, was a fair, generous wage for their work. They were excited about it. Both sides lived up to their end of the bargain. When the landowner paid the other labourers, or what the landowner did with his own money, was no business of anybody else's. In fact, if the landowner had wanted to give half of his wealth to one of the workers, he would not be unjust. And people would have admired him for his generosity. Then Jesus brings the parable to its appropriate end in verse 16. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. 
You see, in the kingdom of God, our perceived position makes no difference because God shows no partiality. In God's economy, things are often just the opposite of what we expect. And that's all very good to read. But how do we apply this text to our lives? Do we simply affect, accept the fact that others may be saved later than us or will do less work than us in the kingdom of God? And I guess most people, we can handle that. But I think there's more in this passage that God wants us to learn. Firstly, we need to open our eyes to God's generosity. This may be a strange thing for us to understand, but everybody in this story was a winner. While some seemed to get more, everyone received the same. Everyone received exactly what was promised to them. And something for us to consider about God, which some may struggle with, is this. God is never unfair. Sometimes in our humanness we don't like it. When someone we don't think deserves it receives something better. Oh, you know, they received a scholarship we wanted. We don't understand how. Their surgery was successful but not mine. They received a favourable diagnosis and I received a negative one. They received a promotion. They don't really deserve it. They got better marks in exams and I did all the study and they just mucked around all the time. I'm more talented and more deserving than they are, but they're the ones who get the lead in the show or the starting spot on the team. It's not fair. We've served God and given up so much more than they have, yet they get all the breaks. It's not fair. Look at their house. wonder what they did wrong to earn all that much money to buy a house like that. We can't deserve, get anything like that. Just listen to what people talk about now, about all the different issues going on. It's not fair. So you're not very happy about what's fair. Our sense of what is fair and what's not is skewed by our worldview. We have a different way of looking at what's fair and right and wrong. God's idea of fairness is not ours. The Lord declares, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We read in Isaiah. If we were to be really honest, we don't always like that. We might even say God is unexpectedly, inexplicably, and even controversially generous. God's grace reminds us that God's favour is a gift. You see, the problem in this text is not an injustice or a mean or a cruel landover. The problem is the scandal of a gracious and loving farmer. He says, are you envious because I am generous? One of the most harmful sins that, that we can commit as God's children is the taking of God's grace for granted. The author John MacArthur puts it this way, the charge of unfairness was not grounded in a love for justice, but in the selfish assumption that the extra pay they wanted was pay they deserved. It's easy to take grace for granted. One day there was a knock on the door of an elderly widow, and when she opened the door, a complete stranger handed her $100 with the words, 
God bless, and then left. This happened the next day and the day after. In fact, it happened for 30 days. This stranger would come up and give her $100 and say, God bless. And then on the 31st day, as the widow stood at the door waiting, the man walked past and knocked on the neighbor's door. The widow was upset and yelled out, Hey, where's my money? You see, we demand grace. We come to demand grace, just like the workers of this parable. Verse 10 says that they expected to receive more. In the kingdom of God, there is no such thing as merit. God's grace is granted according to his good pleasure. I've discovered in my research that there was another parable that made the rounds during this time. In this version, the workers who came last worked so hard, they produced more than all the others put together, they earned the salary they got. And that might make sense to us as Western capitalists. But that's not the story. That's not the story that Jesus told. Everyone got the same no matter how much they produced. Many of us identify with the employees who put in a full day's work rather than the add-ons at the end of the day. We like to think of ourselves as responsible workers and the employer's strange behaviour baffles us. But let's not miss the point of the, sto of the story. God dispenses gifts, not wages. God dispenses gifts, not wages. If it's a wage that we want from God, the Bible says that our salary is already figured out for us. If we want to be rewarded for our merit, if we want to be compensated for our work, then Romans 6 spells out how we'll be paid. For Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. But if we want to receive what God wants to freely give us, then the last part of this verse offers us something far better than just compensation. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God's favour is a gift. And I want to mention two truths that can radically transform your thinking and your way of living, and this is it. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Like a gift, the only thing we can do with grace is to receive it. Grace keeps us from looking down on ourselves. I wonder how many of us have struggled with feelings of incompetence or unworthiness? How many of us have experienced discontentment? That we've even wished for a greater gift or a more important ministry? Have you ever felt inferior to others at church or at work or at sport and so feel a lot less important? Think with me for those who are not hired until 5pm. They watched and they waited while the other workers were hired. They knew that they would probably not get paid that day and that they probably wouldn't be able to buy any food for dinner that night. All day long. They were passed over like the little ch child who's always chosen last for any of the games. But this story shows the Lord's compassion for the forgotten. Usually it would be the, the biggest, the best, the strongest that were first picked. These people were the leftovers, the left skilled, the ones who may not be all that healthy, 
Who in their right mind would pick them? And yet these workers really represent each one of us. When you think about it, what do we have to offer God? Does he need our intellect, our strength, our money, our good deeds? No. Let our confidence and joy in this life be based not on what we have or do not have, on what we do or don't do. Rather, our confidence is on who we have. For on the last day, we'll stand before our Saviour. There'll be no distinctions between preachers and taxi drivers and cleaners and politicians or anybody else. Grace makes us equal to everyone else. The the worker's complaint in verse 12 is fascinating. You have made them equal to us. The all-day workers don't complain about their workers because they knew their pay was generous. They're upset because they wanted to be superior. The word grumble is, for those of you who want to follow all the texts and tenses and stuff, is the imperfect tense, which means that they complained not just once, but were in a constant state of grumbling. This helps us see what kind of workers they really were. They didn't say, you have put us on a par with the latecomers. Instead, they grumbled, you have put them on a par with us. In other words, they're not only dissatisfied with what they themselves had received, they're also envious of what had been given to the others. They emphasised that they bore the burden of the work in the sweltering heat of the day, compared to these upstarts who only worked for an hour. These workers thought they were worth a lot more. And you know, there's a part of us that wants God to give us grades so that we can compare ourselves with others. And if the truth were known, many of us would think that God has given us an A, well, a B plus maybe, while others barely get passing the class. I wonder how often, subconsciously, we put ourselves above other people. We think we're more deserving than somebody else. And I want you to notice a tragic chain of events that took place in the hearts of these workers. They started by comparing themselves with others and this led them to be to coveting, to envy, which led to complaining, which led ultimately to criticising. How often do we struggle with coveting or with envy, with complaining and criticising? If so, stop comparing yourself with others. God declares that in the economy of grace, we are all equal. And it depends on how we're feeling at the time as how we compare ourselves. Sometimes we'll look at others and say, well, we're not as bad as what they are. And other times you think, oh, look at them. If only we could be like them. Yeah, we're not worthy. We're not good enough. We always want to compare. But what we need to do, we need to stop and think about what Romans 12 says. Romans 12 challenges us not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Let's stop being so hard on other people. Stop looking for things that don't seem fair. Refuse to criticise. It's ironic, isn't it? We want grace for ourselves, but we don't always want to give it to others. Grace applied to us always seems good and nice and right, but grace given to others frankly deserves us. Be gracious with others. Cut them some slack. Your sin 
doesn't smell any better than mine does. Let's treat people the way we want to be treated because grace makes us equal to everyone. What grace does is grace offers us a fresh start. The Christian life is really a series of new beginnings. That's what grace is all about. No one is first, no one is last. I'm not better than you and you're not better than me. You're no worse than I am and I'm no worse than you are. We are all covered by the grace of Christ. That's why I think Jesus used such radical terms in verse 16 about the first and the last. Notice what he said. So the last will be first and the first will be last. Now we began our reading at verse 1 of chapter 20. But if you go back to chapter 19 and in the last verse of chapter 19, Jesus says, but many who are first will be last and many who are last are first. He's changed the order around. The first and the last, the last and the first all blur together. It's as if Jesus is trying to make the point that first and last don't matter anymore in the kingdom of God. God's grace is not about finishing first. It's not about finishing last. It's about not counting at all. It's about not keeping score. It's about having a makeover, a fresh start whenever you want it. And how do we find God's grace? We find it by just asking. That's all. It's really that simple. And the more you feel you need for grace, the better candidate you are to receive it. Hold out your empty hands and ask God for his grace. You will not be turned away. You see, this is the miracle. This is the wonder. This is the scandal and the shock of God's grace. It is truly out of this world, for no one in this world would have come up with something like that. And so here's the good news for all of us. Grace is free. Free grace. Free grace. We need to shout it, sing it, tell it, share it. But above all, we need to believe it. For in believing, we will be saved. And as the great hymn says, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. May God's grace be with you this day and always. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty loving God, So often in our life we've tried to compare ourselves with others for better or for worse. So often we've thought that we should get an aim at pass and deserve your grace and other times we think we're well beyond it. But today we remember that it's your gift. It's your gift to us, your grace. And so may we live in that grace. May we know that you're a, we are your people. We don't have to compare ourselves to anybody or to anything else, but just to accept your grace and live gracious lives. So may you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, empower us, empower us to grow in your grace to share that with all people. Amen.
And so we are to remember that we are God's people, a people belonging to God, a people who are called to go out into all the world and to share God's love and grace with all. For those of you who are travelling on holidays, please travel safely. For those of you who have to stay at home, don't get envious. But may you all know the grace of God and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you and remain with you this day and always. Amen.